If your litter box could talk, what would it say to you? Good morning, lovely day, isn't it? Or perhaps, what's up with all the clay dust and chemicals you're laying on me and the cat? If that's the case, consider World's Best Cat Litter. It's virtually dust-free, quick clumping, and lasts twice as long as clay litter. And because it's made from corn, it's chemical-free and a naturally safe choice. World's Best Cat Litter, the number one selling natural litter brand for a reason. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, this is Mission Evolution. We're dedicated to bringing the latest experts and information to offer evolutionary solutions to today's unique challenges. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we're considering evolving through trauma, shock, and climate crisis. An unprecedented number of us have faced shock and trauma in recent times. Between the pandemic, the resulting deaths, restrictions, and lockdowns, social and political unrest, and the apparent effects of climate change, it's no wonder we're reeling. Although what we're being confronted with externally may be something we can do little about, there is much we can do about our interior landscape. What is the neurological impact of shock and trauma? How can we mitigate its negative effects? Can we find the resilience to evolve through these trying times? How can we regain our stability in order to take positive action? Can traumatic events be used to aid our evolution? With us this hour to help us better understand shock and trauma is long-lasting impact and how to deal with it is Dr. Stephanie Mines. Dr. Mines is the author of five books that reflect over three decades of research as a neuroscientist She has investigated shock and trauma as a survivor, a professional, a clinical researcher, and a healthcare provider. Her nonprofit, the Tara Approach, is instrumental in the systematic change she promotes as a sustainable health paradigm. Dr. Mines also developed climate change and consciousness to facilitate inner transformation for grounded climate action. Her website, tara-approach.org. Stephanie, on behalf of my listeners and myself, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. I'm so pleased to be here, Gwilda. Thank you. Would you mind sharing your educational background with us? Oh, not at all. Uh, I have uh, a diverse educational background as I really set out to be a writer. I am a writer, but I set out to be a creative writer. And that's really what I did my undergraduate work in literature and creative writing. And I made a dramatic shift after getting my master's in creative writing 
at San Francisco State University uh, and taking a pause uh, while I got married, had a child, and began to become very curious about my own dynamics and the dynamics of people around me, which led me ultimately to undertake a doctoral program in neuroscience. And that is what has allowed me now, actually, to fuse this creative background with my scientific research and understanding. So how did you first become interested in shock and trauma? Well, I think I've actually always been interested in shock and trauma, but I approached it from the prism of creative formation, creative writing, primarily poetry. Uh, and that was my passion. And I actually had quite a successful career as a poet and a published author. But I knew that in the background of that creative stream that was quite prolific in me, there was unresolved trauma and indeed even more than that, overwhelming shock. And as I faced that as a mother, not wanting to replicate that intergenerational pattern for my children, I decided that I could dive into it. And I had an interesting colleague, uh, a wonderful older gentleman who befriended me and who I actually worked for, uh, an educator named Lawrence Senna. She's now not with us any longer in the body, but he had a program at the University of Colorado called the Academy of Independent Scholars. And that's what inspired me to return to school in my 30s and get my doctorate in an entirely different field. The brilliance of the incredible scholars, particularly he was involved with the National Science Foundation. And through him, I connected with those scientists. And that inspired me to take this great leap uh, and become a neuroscientist, even though I had already completed my master's degree. Well, it seems to be working quite nicely together because you're articulate and able to get the information out there at a level most people can understand and yet have the scientific background to, to really bring through some stuff we need at this time. What are the neurological effects of shock and trauma? As your beautiful introduction illustrated, I have observed and documented that both from the standpoint as one who has survived and thrived beyond those overwhelming experiences as a researcher, as someone who has worked in the field in various settings, uh, shelters for domestic violence survivors, working deeply with the AIDS community, working with survivors of sexual abuse, and also in, as my books demonstrate, working with the children of veterans and neurodiverse children. And what I've observed consistently is that the nervous system adapts actually quite brilliantly to allow an individual to compensate for the developmental deficits that are inevitable with early shock and trauma. And then when that trauma occurs later in life to revert to whatever those compensations were in order to survive the overwhelm. That 
is a window into our capacity for extraordinary resilience as human beings. What my approach provides in addition to that observation is the opportunity to actually identify how one has made that compensation in the interest of life, in the interest of fulfilling one's purpose, and how we can differentiate the past from the present so that we step fully into the now and are no longer compensating, but actually going beyond those compensations, recognizing the brilliance of who we are. Well, right now we're, this particular this year, um, all of us have been really impacted on a lot of different levels. Does that trigger unresolved trauma and shock from the past and make it available to clear for the future? Absolutely. That is my experience. And I'm so grateful for the skills I've cultivated that allows me to do that efficiently. But that is also the experience of my students, of the people I serve. I would say that is a global phenomenon. So when we are confronted with the challenges like what we are today, um, each of us is going to respond in our own way. And if we're not conscious that we're being triggered into the past, do we act that and run the risk of acting that trauma out in the present and um, complicating the problem? Well stated, Gwilda. That is exactly what inspires me now more than ever before to bring forward the programs and the interventions and the applications and the consciousness that I offer. So it's quite an evolutionary opportunity, really, isn't it? Evolutionary is the key word, Gwilda. We have, and there is no question about this, this is absolutely proven scientifically, we have the capacity for evolutionary resilience. So that's resilience beyond finding a way to cope. It's resilience to innovate. It's resilience to move ahead. It's resilience to create a path for the children of the future so that they are not trapped in the traumas we have created. You've mentioned it twice, and it's, it's an area of fascination for me. And that's that, uh, you know, doing this for our descendants, doing this for our children. How can our changing our neurology help our children in the future? Another great question. This taps into the science of epigenetics. And my favorite researcher in this field is Rachel Yehuda, who has studied Holocaust survivors and also the survivors of the 9-11 terrorist attacks and how the experiences of those survivors have been passed on to their children and their children's children. So the epigenetic impacts of our ancestors has been shown to influence our behavior in very, very specific ways. So the science of epigenetics, the word epigenetic, means above genetics or beyond genetics. And what those environmental influences do is shape genetic expression or behavior. And that happens through the somatosensory cortex. It happens through the way in which we 
move, in which we act, uh, the behavioral mechanisms that get shaped by these epigenetic influences. So let me let me clarify something. What you're saying is a child can be brought up in a totally different family, so they're not getting that um, nurture effect of of the parents' trauma, but still demonstrate the same trauma. Yes, and this is what Rachel Yehuda has demonstrated in her well documented and highly regarded research. And it is also something that I have observed. Now I'm going to get esoteric on you. If we can change uh, the genetics for our future, does it impact our ancestors? So first of all, to clarify, uh, we don't actually change the genetics. We change the epigenetics. So that's the genetic expression. The gene structure remains intact. It's the behavior that shifts, which is critical. And my answer to your question is yes. And that may seem esoteric, uh, but I believe that there's also evidence for that in traditional wisdom, that famous Celtic aphorism, we can heal seven generations back and seven generations forward. And that aphorism also occurs in other indigenous traditions. And indigenous wisdom, though it doesn't have the mechanisms of clinical trials that we have created in the West, nevertheless is, I would say, tested, time-tested. And so on the basis of that, my answer to your question is yes. That's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? You know, what what kind of power we have just being conscious and uh, healing our trauma in the present. Consciousness is the key word. And that is why I created Climate Change and Consciousness. It's with the understanding that as our consciousness evolves, which it is designed to do, that is the way to meet all the iterations of the climate crisis, including this pandemic that we're facing right now. Now, we're just about out of time for this segment, but I did want to um, introduce, if we're in, you know, we're in pretty traumatic times. However, if we talk about indigenous people, it's been prophesized that this would be happening. How is that interfacing with our ability to, um, to, ch to heal forward and backwards? The way that interfaces for me in the work that I do, and that includes the Tara approach, my paradigm, and climate change and consciousness, it's by listening to indigenous leaders who are kind enough to continue to speak to us, even though we haven't listened to them previously. They continue not only to speak to us, but to be our allies. And particularly through climate change and consciousness, we have formed bonds with indigenous well, leaders. We'll have to pick up on that on the other side of that promised commercial break. Stephanie and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The 
we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you, dear listeners, for your encouragement and support of what we're providing through Mission Evolution to aid during these challenging times. And speaking of gifted people of service to the world, our continued programming and broadcast is only made possible through the endless hard work and dedication of our executive producer, Rob McConnell, and his amazing team at the Exxon Broadcast Network. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Stephanie Mines, her website, tara-approach.org. Stephanie, we were just getting into the the treasure that we have in our elders and indigenous people. Um, so would you continue with that? Because it's just it's so important. It is. I agree. And I really appreciate you, Gwilda, for emphasizing this. So both through the Tara approach and climate change and consciousness, I have formed alliances with indigenous leaders. In climate change and consciousness, we have a assembly of three continents where indigenous leaders in Amazonia, Oceania, and Africa have come together to work with us to support their regional projects. And most recently, I am so excited about this. Most recently, we have formed an alliance with Youth Leading the World, a project of Oz Green in Australia to promote leadership amongst the youth of walking the land. I am so open heartedly excited about this because not only do I love the walking the land leaders, I am now connected to their children, uh, approximately ages 12 to 25. So the children and youth of our indigenous leaders are being supported and accompanied in their evolution through our collaboration with youth leading the world. In the Tara approach, I am integrating healing circles of healing in community that are based on indigenous wisdom and that bring forward the cultural medicines of the people in those circles. That's so, phenomenal. It's, it's, it is. It's, it's such, a, such a resource. Um, can I ask you to move your mic just a little bit away from your mouth? Yes. Thank you. So... Again, if we talk about our indigenous people and the epigenetics that went on there during, you know, genocides and all sorts of nasty things, um, what, what 
is this doing to change the epigenetics so that they can move forward unencumbered by uh, what you know what's happened? Yes, this is the key point in looking deeply at the impacts of colonialism, uh, the impacts of colonialism on indigenous populations, the impacts of system, systemic racism, the impacts of racial violence, which is the same really as the climate injustices that we are now witnessing as we see that Populations of color are much more severely impacted by this pandemic than others. So as white people begin to take responsibility for that and investigate their own internalized racism and resolve that and form these alliances, such as the ones I've described, we begin to step into the deeper truth, which is our unity. And that, unity, unity is the key, isn't it? You yes. know, entering, entering that unified field. Let's let's talk about unprocessed shock and trauma that we accumulate over our lifetimes. Would you give, please give some examples and how that impacts us? Absolutely. So process. I, I'd like to just take that word apart for a moment. What do we mean by processing trauma? And I go back to what I said earlier, which is differentiating the past from the present. That is the key outcome of processing shock and trauma from the past that lives in the memory structures of the human body. So those memory structures are limbic. In other words, the emotional brain of the body houses memories and will house dominantly those memories that were overwhelming. Uh, it is an interesting design, but the more positive, easier to process memories do not take up as much space neurologically as the overwhelming difficulties. So those experiences and those impacts are stored in the structure of the amygdala. And that organization is not rational. It is conditional. It's based on the circumstances. That's why this global phenomena that you pointed out, Gwilda, is happening, where people are being activated by the degree of crisis that we're in right now, because each individual in their own way is being activated by whatever resonates with their history in the current situation. So through the Tara approach, I provide an opportunity for people in safe, titrated circles and collectives and individual sessions on occasion to actually begin to tease that apart, to differentiate the past from the present in a calm rhythm that is attuned to their own biorhythms. So let's let's tie something together here. I'm kind of snuffing out a connection. <laughs> the things that are stored in the amygdala that we were unable to move through because they were overwhelming, does that then impact our epigenetics and get passed on? Yes, yes, exactly. And so how can we shortstop that through um, through addressing the issues in our lifetime, yes? Exactly, and this was so important to me in my work 
for instance, with young people who had experienced trauma uh, and really being able to support their parents, for instance, and differentiating the past from the present in their own lives as a way to be more present for their children, thereby allowing their children to not be the recipients of that epigenetic traumatic inheritance or secondary traumatization is another language for that. So, but if unaddressed, do shock and trauma accumulate? And if they do, what's the, what, what's that look like? Yes, absolutely. Because of the way that the uh, amygdala stores information in this conditioned way, those conditional similarities will attach to one another. Think of Velcro, you know, they will Velcro together. And I want to mention that there is another memory structure in the human body, which is cellular or in connective tissue that, in other words, cellular memory, memory from precognitive times and memory that is precognitive events that happened uh, when we were not analytic about them, when we were experiencing them from a sensory standpoint, those will store also in the physical body. So there, the accumulation is more obvious in a way because that will result in denser uh, fascia, denser connective tissue. So that's what we used to go to massage therapists for when we could, um, uh, to have those tensions eased out and of course, massage therapists have reported for some time that clients would begin to cry on the massage table and the massage therapist wouldn't understand that connection. But for that individual, that contact was opening up a sensory trauma that was cellularly stored. So that's actually a great example of the accumulation of unresolved trauma. So it takes embodiment to a whole new level, doesn't it? Yes. Um, if, what impact is, um, for one thing, we also embody that kind of trauma into our organs, don't we? Yes. And that, and, that is absolutely a, a critical study of my own uh, in terms of the research and practices that I provide. And so if we're storing them in our organs, what impact does it have on our health? Well, obviously what is stored and accumulated and dense leads to very difficult circumstances. Uh, it can lead to accumulations. Uh, it can lead to pain. It can lead to chronic patterns of repetition. Uh, and that is the way in which the body is trying to get our attention to address what is accumulating there. And the body really tries very hard to resolve its own issues. And that is the nature of the work that I do is to support that process. So in the TAR approach, practitioners are allies for the body, mirrors to allow the individual to awaken their own healing instincts. Now, I've, you know, known a lot of people that have stored trauma in their body from traumatic events that happened as adults, not just when you were too young. Um, what, what causes that? It's the same phenomena. We will store or put into a freeze state 
what it is that we can't address, don't have the resources to address, uh, feel like we don't have the time to address, uh, are too afraid to address. So that storing or freezing response is one of the ways that the polyvagal system survives and tries to keep operative the status quo of one's lifestyle. So working with the polyvagal system is a component of the Tara approach, being able to offer more options than just fight and flight, freeze, or attack. So is, um, it's interesting that, that these are stored in the amygdala. It seems like there might be a purpose there. Is that because that's where we go when we, get, uh, we are in trauma? We go into fight or flight, and then that information is stored there to respond from? What's the purpose of that? Yes, the brain structure is originally a survival mechanism at the basic level, the primitive level, literally the bottom part of the brain, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little compromised by being only audio here uh, and not being able to show a, a diagram that would indicate that at the occipital level, at the base of the skull, that territory uh, is the primitive brain. And that part of the brain is keyed in specifically to the kidney adrenal system and is organized for survival. And in that organization, there is basically fight, flight, or freeze. And the polyvagal system that develops simultaneously allows our social engagement to reflect the decisions that allow us to survive in those primitive conditions of the past. The higher brains, the limbic brain where the amygdala is, and then the cortical and neocortical brains have much better options for us. But we can't get to those options if we are still stuck at that survival level. It's amazing. So it's like the original purpose was so that the information of what traumas we've had is there to draw on so that we can avoid them in the future. And yet it ends up throwing us in the past rather than in the present. Well, that's why the brain has evolved and continues to evolve. And that evolution, I believe, is peaking now that these threatening conditions, because the brain has evolved in response to threat. So the threats of the present have the potential to evolve our brains, the human brain, to an even higher level of resilience and that is intended in brain structure. And I, I really believe, Gwilda, that this time now is the key time for individuals to be able to well, we're, access. We're, we're gonna have to pick up on that key time and what we'll be accessing on the other side of another break. Stephanie and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Hello. 
Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about finding empowerment in times of upheaval? This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled Supporting Health Through the Traumas of Our Times. KK shares, I was amazed by all the ways stress and trauma impacts our health and was grateful for the useful information about how to mitigate it. Thanks, KK. Marcel was a great guest and brought much needed information to support us during these times. Curious, dear audience, visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to the episode entitled Supporting Health Through the Traumas of Our Times, and let us know what you think. Email me at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. With us this hour, addressing evolving through shock and trauma is Stephanie Mines. Her website, tara-approach.org. Stephanie, we've gone into some the anatomy of the beastie pretty well here. So now, how about how how do we use these things that we know to one recognize when we are being impacted by our history and our stored trauma in our responses to the present? Yes, this cues in beautifully with uh, what I was saying previously, which is this is the optimum time for us, and by us I mean ordinary people, to access the health, intelligence, and wisdom that lives within us. This has always been my message, but it is underscored and illuminated with fluorescent letters now. So, By learning to befriend our bodies and even to celebrate the way in which we were resilient in the past to compensate for what was difficult for us, even though that compensation now may be keeping us stuck in some way, nevertheless, it deserves to be applauded and released ceremoniously with love and understanding what those compensations look like and having a graceful and titrated way to release them and step into the new resources. This is the way that we learn to track and be with ourselves. And this is also the path of evolution. I will posit that it is actually the path of adulthood and the path of service to humanity. How can a person tell if they're kind of behind the power curve as far as old trauma that needs to be cleared so they can live in the present? This is where tracking the polyvagal system is so useful. So if your heart rate increases, if you start to sweat, if you shut down, that would be the freeze response. You withdraw, you disappear, you can't respond, you become passive or you become aggressive when the situation is not going to be served by those responses. Those become habituated, addictive responses. Our ability to observe that That is a somatosensory cortex response. It's responding out of the behavioral memory that has become instinctual from the past. So being able to step back 
into a witness place, and this can happen very quickly, Gwilda. This is not something that requires years and years and years of training. Then from that witnessing standpoint, and then by using the interventions that I make available and similar ones, we then repattern that response and enter a new sensory experience and a new evolution in terms of options for behavior. So it seems like we need a short stop, okay? Otherwise, we just drop into the rut and go with the same way that we've done it all along. Can you give us some examples of useful shortcuts to stop us when we start to go there? I love that metaphor of the short stop. I'm going to use that if that's okay with you. It's it's totally (laughs) yours. So the hands-on applications that I provide are great short stops, uh, and they interrupt habituated responses. And some of them are incredibly simple, and they apply equally well for children, adults, even elders will be able, I've, I've taught these interventions to my mom, who I want to say is about to turn 100, and they have changed her life, and she is thriving at the age of 100. That might be a good ad. Impressive. Um, <laughs> so, for example, at a very, very simple level, the fingers of the hand, we are known uh, in some indigenous traditions as the five-fingered ones, And perhaps one reason for that nomenclature is that our fingers are actually conduits of energetic transformation if we can hold them lovingly and simply. So literally, if I just place my index finger of either hand in the palm of the opposite hand and wrap my other fingers of that opposite hand around it so that I'm literally cradling or cuddling my index finger. And if you're listening and this is available to you, try it. This will communicate calm and balance to your adrenal system. So this will literally, and I have seen it happen time again, and I have seen it happen for me, stop a panic attack. So you can test it out. Uh, When, for instance, you are at the dentist, Uh, this is a a simple one, but I've used it and I have stress when I go to the dentist. If I do this simple application of holding my index finger, you can sensorily track how you de-adrenalize in that moment. And you're then able to approach the situation with new resources. So try that when you're activated by a news broadcast or a piece of information that shocks you and disturbs you. Just take a moment to do that. So you're engaging the uh, meridian system to uh, interface with your um, fight or flight response. Exactly. Exactly. Amazing. Amazing. So uh, what else have you got? That one was good. Let's try another one. Oh, yes. Uh, I love to share these beautiful, simple interventions that I will tell you work instantaneously. So one of my favorites these days uh, is to hold an area that's right under the collarbone 
So the clavicle has a knobby beginning uh, closer to the midline, um, anywhere on that line, but I particularly like directly under that knob of the clavicle. You can just place your fingertips there, both right and left sides, or one at a time, whatever's available for you. This site opens the heart, but it does much more than that. It allows you to be present and accepting in the moment. So one of our responses to overload is to react to it, to think about the way it should be, to reference how it was. These sites right under the clavicle, the same sites bilaterally, allows you to be at peace in the moment. I call it the be here now sites. It erases the chaos that comes from being in another time frame and brings you contentment in the moment. Oh, amazing. So, you know, you've spoken of children a couple times, and it sounds like these would be great tools for kids because it's so easy. Is there a way to aid infants and small children to clear shock and trauma? Yes, and I have developed those materials and worked closely with family birthing unit staff, and those resources are available on my website. Fantastic. Tell, tell us um, uh, how early development can influence how we evolve as individuals. The research on this, of course, is extensive as human brain development is shaped entirely by relationship. So the way in which attachment and bonding evolved in early life, and one of the principles I teach is how that begins in utero, that actually begins the structuring of these compensatory responses when what our needs are in that moment are not perceived in the way that we need them to be perceived. And of course, this is not to reflect badly on anyone, any system or any individuals. It is simply investigating with attunement each individual's development. So if those needs to be seen, to be heard, to be recognized, to be nourished in the ways that we need are not met, we develop compensations. So those needs are always innocent, but the comp compensations kind of send us on an, a different path than the simple direct path that would lead to confidence and self-acceptance. It sends us on another path that sometimes can become addictive. So in other words, um, if we don't perceive we're getting our needs met, we might develop uh, manipulative ways of getting around that that are, that are, you know, not serving anybody. Right. And then we become identified with those manipulations that we created brilliantly in order to survive and thrive, uh, but, but they out, are outdated quickly. And we don't update the nervous system uh, in the way that we can learn to do later. What's your vision for the future of our race if trauma is treated from birth rather than allowed to accumulate? My vision is incredibly optimistic and that 
is really the result of my connection with the natural world. Uh, I have deep communion with the ancient forest where I live. I believe that this evolutionary resilience that I propagate, that I experience, Gwilda, in my own mind-body, that that resilience will bring us to the place of incredible generosity and incredible intelligence that will correct the mistakes that we have made as a culture and begin to live in the way we are intended to live in the interest of future generations. That earth connection is paramount, isn't it? Yes. And that is indigenous teaching. And I am so grateful to the indigenous teachers who have supported and nourished that orientation absolutely can can i sweet talk you into moving your mic away from your mouth a little again yes <laughs> <laughs> it keeps sneaking up on us yes that that indigenous wisdom and, and our modern lifestyles have really gotten us away from that do you think that that has impacted us accumulating trauma oh definitely we've lost kinship we've lost connection we've lost unity and that can be restored it's not too late yet. We certainly need to get our kids out of, off of t tablets and uh, with their toes in the dirt, don't we? Absolutely. And that's safe to do. Being outside, being with the natural world, those are the teachers that our young people can hear and see and touch. And they're drawn to them. I mean, what child doesn't really like to be outside? Exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I know that we have restrictions right now that may, might make that difficult if you're, you know, kind of locked down, hidden hidden up away from COVID and, and nothing around but concrete. But even just standing out on the concrete is grounding, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, Gwilda, I was born in concrete. <laughs> I was born in the Bronx, New York, and in a very traumatic environment in, in my own home, but also in the world around me. Well, we're and... going to have to pick, I'm sorry, we're going to have to pick up on that okay. uh, on the other side of yet another break. Okay. Um, but Stephanie and I will be back to continue our discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us at info at missionevolution.org. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Stephanie Mines. Her website, tara-approach.org. Stephanie, this is a large topic, but you know we can't talk about evolution without talking about evolution of consciousness. What is evolution of consciousness? The evolution of consciousness is the innovative resilience that is programmed into the neurological structures 
of our brain, which is evidenced by the way in which the brain has already developed and the way that the brain continues to develop, as we can see in all of the innovative ideas that are bursting out into our world right now. And that capacity increases through the resolution of trauma, as we have been discussing, and through the kinship and connection with the natural world that was the topic just before the break. And I was sharing how in my early years in concrete in the Bronx tenement, I nevertheless was able to connect with the natural world, with the world of the sky and the stars, and how my inner life linked with that natural connection to evolve the creativity that led me to be the innovative scientist I am now and the passionate lover of humanity that writes books like We Are All in Shock, the one that we're here to talk about. So uh, this is a, might seem like a, a left turn, but you speak of unprecedented leadership. Would you tell us what that is? Yes, unprecedented leadership is feminine, authentic, vulnerable, articulate, impassioned, intergenerational, the voice of the grandmother spirit that lives in men and women, but which women espouse now much more readily Again, in response to the crisis conditions that surround us, I would point to Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of Aotearoa, New Zealand, as an example of that unprecedented leadership. Uh, Vandana Shiva, the incredible scientist uh, from India, and training in authentic leadership, unprecedented leadership, is also available through the TAR approach, and climate change and consciousness. It's, you know, more, more entering into a more feminine era. So it makes sense that it would be reemerging at this time. We're also dealing with a lot of polarization. Now, of course, I, I don't talk politics at all on this show. That's not what we're about. But just in general, I think that we have uh, kind of ended up in a place where people, when they get triggered, they'll polarize one direction or the other. What is the, uh, how, how does that operate and what's the impact of it? The polarization is trauma reenactment, and it is driven by a fear response. So when we are able to step into what is known as entelechy or the essence of who we are, the purpose for which we're here, which we do more and more when trauma is resolved, then that polarization is not possible for us. We become the peacemakers. We become the innovators. That is unprecedented leadership. So that when you're coming from a place of, of being grounded in the present moment and in, in a neutral stance, then you are in a position to be a leader. Exactly. Gotcha. What's the neurological impact of polarization? It is, as I said before, trauma repetition. So it's enforcing old compensatory behaviors. And while those may give you uh, the kind of 
short-term thrill or satisfaction. I mean, that's where all these behaviors are headed is to the satisfaction centers of the brain. And those satisfaction receptors that are cued into our compensations, they will light up when we repeat our old traumas and we satisfy ourselves in those compensatory ways. But there are other satisfaction centers yet untouched that will light up in a much brighter and more comprehensive way when we begin to get closer to the true satisfaction, which is this unity, which is this connectedness, this kinship. The, do we have an opportunity right now through clearing our trauma to direct our own um, evolution of our own brains? Do we, have, do we have some control over which way they evolve and, and how to direct that? Well, we, we have definitely the power to enter a new level of development. But there is a quality, Gwilda, of the unknown here. We are on the brink of a great unknown. And that includes our own evolution. That's where resilience twins up with spontaneity, the capacity to be spontaneous, resilient in the moment. So I go back to that site under the clavicle bones there. That site will support you in stepping into the unknown and feeling confident that you can innovate resilient, resiliently in that space. That's the new evolution, really. Mm. You know, a lot of people are talking, well, when we get back to normal, when we get back to normal. Normal wasn't sustainable. But it seems to me like there's nothing like having all the constituent parts thrown in the air to be a time of great creativity if we approach it right. How should we approach this? How can we reframe the way we're viewing what's going on in a creative way rather than a destructive one? Yeah, I love your language, Gwilda. We do that by recognizing the newness, the unprecedented nature of where we are now. And as I've said multiple times now, because it is so fundamental to what we're talking about, differentiating the past from the present and being willing through our resourcing of ourselves. And we have to do this as adults in order to be mentors for our children and youth, by standing in this unknown newness with confidence and allowing our innovative resilience to have voice. This is critical and it's part of unprecedented leadership. Allow the innovative, spontaneous resilience as we stand in this unknown place together to have voice. And this is another component of unprecedented leadership. It is collaborative. We are no longer looking for the singular leader to rescue us. As Thich Nhat Hanh has said, the Buddha will now come as a community. It's a collective, collaborative response. We're seeing evidence that all over the place, aren't we? I mean, just in the, the battle against COVID, com countries are coming together in a way uh, and sharing and collaborating and sharing information um, for the, the, the greater good. And I think it's kind of unprecedented, don't you? Absolutely. And it's the way forward. The way forward is collaborative. If the one thing also that I see that these circumstances have done is, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit. 
We do things the way we've always done them. We do things the way our parents did them. But then now there are circumstances that prevent us from those habitual behaviors. Even if it's, you know, you know, we habitually go out and go to a movie to take our mind off of stuff, or we habitually go out and do this or do that or vacation or whatever. What impact is that uh, interruption in our day-to-day habitual behaviors having on our ability to move forward? Well, when we are embracing the newness, when we are seeing this unprecedented state and celebrating it, that's the signal that the brain is evolving. I mean, I'm right there with you. I used to love to just go to a movie, you know, that would be such a great de-stressor. I don't do that anymore because... I am too vitally engaged with those actions and those words and those programs that will move us forward, that will build a world that I am happy to see my grandchildren inhabit. And that excitement substitutes for diversion. If you could give a gift to the children of the future, what would it be? That gift would be this thriving in the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. I feel that's my heartfelt responsibility, which I accept with joy as a woman, as a mother, as a grandmother, and as the voice of the grandmothers. I joyously give the gift of the more beautiful world for my children and my children's children to thrive in and become all they can be. How much of the beauty or lack thereof of the world is dependent upon our ability to come out of polarization and view things in the present rather than through the filter of the past? I would say it is 100% dependent on that capacity. That's that's an amazing thing, isn't it? And so what would you say would be our best first step to getting there? The evolution of consciousness. That is our best first step that each one of us look to ourselves and evolve our consciousness in light of the crisis situation, not denying it, not running away from it, not avoiding it, but meeting it as an opportunity for human evolution and feel the love for future generations in that evolutionary process. The answer is consciousness. And how can we, what's our first step in moving towards our consciousness? Well, it really depends on who you are and where you are at this point in time. If you're looking for tools to evolve that consciousness, I have them for you. Uh, Through the TARA approach, through climate change and consciousness, through my book that has just been issued with specific pandemic resources, We Are All in Shock, Energy Healing for Traumatic Times. If you feel that you have been evolving your consciousness and you want to be part of a community, I also offer that primarily through Climate Change and Consciousness, which is cccearth.org. And then the uh, where we can get the uh, Tara approach, where is that located? 
tara-approach.org. Perfect. Tara-approach.org. And it's T-A-R-A? That's correct. <laughs> hey, not bad, not bad. I've been looking at it all morning, so hopefully it sinks in. <laughs> do you have anything? We're just about out of time. Do you have anything to say to our audience in closing? First of all, I want to thank you, Gwilda, for inviting me, giving me this precious opportunity to communicate with an audience that I can say I'm dedicated to. My intention is really a grassroots evolution, a response particularly to the health consequences of climate change and also to bring together those individuals committed to building the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible so that our children and our children's children can thrive. Well, thank you. Only too soon we have reached the end of our time together. It's always such a pleasure sharing thoughts with you, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Our guest this hour has been Stephanie Mines, neuroscientist, author of We Are All on Shock, Energy Healing for Traumatic Times, and founder of the Tara Approach. Her website, tara-approach.org. I love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at missionevolution.org and suggest a topic or guests on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues, bringing vital information, resources, and support to our evolving world. Thank you.